Uh, if you have your own Bibles, you may turn there, or it is also printed in our uh, worship folder this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to begin our reading at verse 12 and then read through the end of this chapter. Deuteronomy 10, beginning at verse 12. What we hear now is God's word. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Also in the worship folder this morning, there is printed the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1. And I would like to read that for you this morning. What is your only comfort in life and death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Question two, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Well, this morning we are beginning a new series of sermons, uh, returning once again to the truth of the Heidelberg Catechism. 
For those who grew up with the catechism, I had the privilege of growing up with the catechism, uh, returning to the catechism is something like like going back to an old, well-trusted friend. It's something we know, something we are familiar with. For those who have not grown up with the catechism or catechetical preaching, I always feel I have to make just a bit of a defense for why we do this practice of preaching the Word of God as summarized in the catechism. The the most common um, objection I get to catechism preaching is, isn't the Bible sufficient? Isn't the Bible enough? Why do we go to these secondary standards? Why do we go to the words of men and give them such a prominent place in the preaching ministry of the church? Well, let me say without hesitation, the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is absolutely sufficient to tell us all we need for life and godliness. But the catechism is a wonderful help, a help to understanding in a systematic way the truths given to us in the Word of God. The Catechism helps us to focus on the doctrines contained in Scripture. It's a a series of questions and answers, but that point us back to the truth of God's Word. It is a faithful summary of the Word of God, and so for over 400 years now, Reformed churches have used the Catechism as a teaching aid and a preaching aid. I have the great privilege of teaching our high school students the truths contained in the Heidelberg Catechism. And also we as a congregation hold on to these truths. If you notice, uh, kids, the the title over the Catechism uh, for this morning says Lord's Day One. That's the title of this morning's Catechism lesson, Lord's Day One. And if you look at the rest of the catechism, you will see that there are 52 Lord's Days in the catechism. It was the intention that once every Sunday, uh, the catechism be used to focus the preaching ministry of the church, that every year the churches would be instructed in this way. Now, it's going to take us longer than a year. Uh, We take time off for uh, Advent series and Lenten series, and, you know, I go on vacation 15 or 16 weeks a year, so uh, there's times we take off, but we'll take uh, a year and a half, two years or so to give ourselves to the study, the systematic study of the truth of God's Word. The Catechism gives us a focus on the whole counsel of God. It is so easy for ministers to want to preach our favorite parts of Scripture or our favorite topics in Scripture, and by the same token, to avoid certain things. There are some things we don't like to preach. The Catechism helps us to see the whole counsel of God and all the truth revealed by our God in His Word. The Catechism covers the basics. It does not get into the different proofs for the existence of God, the ontological proof, the teleological proof, the cosmological proof. It doesn't doesn't, uh, 
touch the nuances of premillennialism and postmillennialism and amillennialism. It doesn't talk about the differences between Anselm's satisfaction view of the atonement or Abelard's moral influence theory. It doesn't deal with these type of things. It deals with the basics, the fundamentals. Who is God? Who is God the Father? He is the creator of all that there is and its sustainer. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the Savior of his people. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the one who produces and strengthens faith in the hearts of God's chosen. The fundamentals, the basics. The catechism functions something like a skeleton for the sermons we're going to hear. Now, kids, you don't see your skeleton, your bones. You don't see the bones inside of you, but you know I got a skeleton because I'm standing up. There's flesh on top of it. We're going to look every Sunday at a text from Scripture. The Scriptures will be our text. But you will see behind that, the sermons are structured along the truth given to us in the Heidelberg Catechism. And so we're not going to touch everything in every Lord's Day. Sometimes people will say to me, you know, having preached a particular Lord's Day, you didn't talk about this. And I, my, my typical answer is, stick around. Stick around. Next time around, we may touch on that particular point. We will not exhaust the truth of each of the Lord's Days, but they will be like a skeleton that the sermon is built around, a textual sermon using the catechism as its, as its background. We look this morning at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Israel is preparing to enter into the promised land. And as they do so, God reminds them who they are and who they are called to be. He reminds them of their past, of their captivity, of his deliverance for them out of captivity, and his call to obedience. Captivity, deliverance, obedience. For those familiar with the catechism, we might use the words sin, salvation, and service. The three main sections, in fact, that's spelled out for us in question two, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance, captivity, deliverance, and obedience. God reminds his people who they are and how they got to be there. Verse 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heaven, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples. Reminding them, first of all, of the greatness of God. Your God is the God of the heavens, the God of the heaven of heavens, the highest heavens, the God of all glory and majesty. Look at verse 17. For the Lord is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God 
who is not partial and takes no bride. He executes justice for the fatherless and widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. He is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. He talks about the majesty of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, the God over all the heavens. And he says, this great God, this great God set his heart in love on your fathers and chose them. The God who made the heavens and the earth set his heart in love on a particular people and chose them for his own. We saw that manifest when God came to Abraham and he takes him out of Ur of Chaldees, he takes him up to Haran, and he brings him into the promised land, Canaan. God chose. God made a selection. God set his heart in love. In love on you and on their offspring, on the fathers and on their offspring after them. We, by faith, are those offspring. We, by faith, are those who are the descendants of the fathers of Israel, the descendants of those who have gone before. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God set his love on his people, on his chosen, on his own. We belong to him. The catechism begins, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong. I belong to God. Psychologists tell us that one of the most fundamental needs in life is belonging. After survival needs, after safety needs, the need to belong. The need to belong somewhere. And our catechism reminds us, you not only belong somewhere, but you belong to someone. I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to God. That is our comfort. That is our, our only comfort in life and death, that we belong to God. Where do we look for our security? Where do we look for our comfort in this life? Some of us look for it in our family relationships. Some of us look for it in financial stability. Some of us look for it in belonging to the right church or going to the right school or having the right job. These are all fine things. But they're not the source, the ultimate source of our comfort. Our comfort is found in belonging to God. Because we have seen how, how easily disturbed how quickly disturbed the things of this life are. Our lives have been disturbed, changed in the last two months. If we are looking for our comfort in, in the stability from outside, we'll be greatly shaken. But no, our stability comes from knowing there is a God who is in control and we belong to him. This is fundamental. Even when we sing, see things apparently out of control around us, God is still in control. 
Our comfort is found in knowing we belong to him, a God who is great, a God who is glorious, but a God who has chosen us, chosen a people to be his very own. As those who were chosen by God, God reminds them of the blessings he has given to them. Verse 18, this God, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. He reminds them of the blessings they have received and that they were sojourners in a land not their own. They were sojourners in Egypt, not their own place, not their own dwelling. Beyond being sojourners, they were slaves in Egypt. And God came to them, and in his love and his mercy, he delivered them. He set them free. They have the freedom from the oppression. This was the blessing of belonging to God. He released them from their captivity. And as we've said so many times, we see in that picture of Israel being taken out of captivity a picture of our own release from captivity. Uh, a captivity far worse than to any foreign temporal power, but a captivity to the devil himself, desiring to follow his ways, not God's ways. And Jesus Christ comes, and we read in our confession, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. We are those who have been set free. We are those who have been released. Released from the guilt of our sin. We know, we know intellectually that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and his blood forgives my sins. But so often we live with guilt. We live with guilt for the things we have done. For the choices we have made. And we almost take a, a, a pious pleasure in reminding ourselves how guilty and sinful we are. We have been set free. You do not have to live your life under a cloud of guilt because of choices earlier in your life or earlier in this week. We have been set free from the guilt of sin. Jesus Christ takes that guilt away. We've been set free from the power of sin. Paul will say elsewhere in Scripture, do not let sin reign over you because it does not reign over you. Christ now reigns. You've been set free from the tyranny of the devil. Once you were living in a way that was seeking to please him and do everything you could for him, but you've been set free from that, from the power of sin, by the power of the Holy Spirit. God now works in you. Our freedom is from the guilt of sin. It is from the power of sin. It is a freedom unto the ways of God. A freedom now to walk in the ways God has called us. To say no to ungodliness. And yes to the path of righteousness. Not in our own strength, but the Holy Spirit indwelling us. A spirit-wrought desire to live in God's ways. That's the blessing, the blessing of belonging to God. And so we hear this from verse 12. And now, O Israel, 
What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I've commanded you today, for your good. Their response to all that God had done was to fear the Lord, to love the Lord, to serve the Lord. We almost hear anticipations of the prophet Micah. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God. But notice, notice the order. They have been taken out of captivity. God has released them. And now he comes to them and says, and now, O Israel, what does God require? Having been released, having been set free, now what does God require? Now you are to love him, to serve him, to fear him. It isn't the case that while they are in captivity, God comes to them and says, now if you love me, if you fear me, if you serve me, I will take you out. It's not as if they have to do something before the captivity takes place. No, God chooses them, releases them, and then they are called to love and to serve and to fear Him. It is the same in God's glorious economy of salvation. God doesn't come to us, first of all, and say, if you do these ten things, then I will release you then I will save you. No, God says, I have, I have chosen to set my love on you simply because I chose you, and I have released you, and you've been set free, and now, O Israel, now you are called to fear me, and to love me, and to serve me. Their, their obedience was a response to what God had done. We read in verse 21, He, God, is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. He is your praise. He is the reason for your praise, what He has done. He is the object of your praise. Our praise is directed to God because of his goodness to us. He is even the author of our praise. He teaches us how we might love him, serve him, live for him. He gives us his holy law to direct us and to instruct us. They were, in verse 12, to do these things, to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do this with all your heart. God says, I want this to come from inside of you. I want you to have an internal desire to serve me and to love me and to follow after me. God does not desire simply an external conformity to his rules. But love me with your heart, with your soul from the inside, a heart that desires to walk in the ways of the Lord. Our confession, because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready 
to live for him. Wholehearted devotion. A heartfelt desire to do what God has called us to do. I find myself in my own prayer life praying to God that he would forgive me for the besetting sins which still occur day after day, but what I need to do is pray that God root the desire of that sin out of my heart. Not simply don't do a few things, but that my heart be cold to sin and warm to the ways of the Lord. A heartfelt desire to serve. And notice, notice how he says this, verse 13, to keep the commandment and the statutes which I'm commanding you for your good. Do this, God says, keep the commands for your good. The law is not given to keep us from enjoying life. The law is given that we may enjoy life. That we may have a good life walking in the ways of God, in the light of God's love. Young people, if you want to have a good life, walk in the ways of the Lord. Young couples, if you want to have a good life, build your marriage, your life on the ways of the Lord. Parents, in the raising of your children, build that instruction on the fear of the Lord for all of us. If we want to, to walk in the ways of fellowship with God, listen to his word, listen to his commandments, to his statutes, they are given to us for our good that our lives might be filled with joy and rejoicing in what God has done because we belong to him. The blessing of belonging. Israel was reminded, the Lord your God, the God of the heavens, the God of the highest heavens, has set his heart in love on you. That same truth is given to us today. God has set his heart in love on his people. He has sent Jesus Christ to come and wash us and cleanse us and save us from all of our sins, from the guilt of our sins, from the power of our sins. If you are still struggling with that guilt, if you are still defenseless against that power, put your faith in Jesus Christ today and know the, the glory of forgiveness, the release of the guilt, the release from captivity of the power of sin. And know, therefore, that God now calls you to live and to walk in his commands. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today, for your good, the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Let's pray together. Lord our God, you are God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings. You are the one who sits enthroned in heaven. You are the one who rules the highest heavens.
And yet, O oh God, for your own good pleasure, you looked down upon a people. You chose a people in love, set your heart in love on them, that they might be your very own. Thank you, O oh God, for calling us into that glorious company of people. We know we have been set free, released from the captivity, from the tyranny of the devil. And now, O oh God, you call us for our good to walk in your ways. Give us a greater desire, a heartfelt desire for spirit-wrought obedience. We are so weak and we are so frail and we are so easily turned aside. So we pray that you might strengthen us, you might encourage us, you might continue to remind us that in every part of our life, we belong to you. Hear our prayer, O oh God. For Jesus' sake, amen.